0: Gen X Playback, episode number 11.
1: Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket. I and welcome back, everybody, to Gen X Playback back. Show. I'm Scott. And I'm Sean. And we want to welcome you to uh, the evolution of our podcast as we are now able to add some music into our uh, our podcast thanks to spotify uh we're glad you're listening to us on spotify podcast apple podcast iheart radio podcast and all around the country and in some spots of the world so it's great to have everybody
0: joining us for this particular episode yeah it's true and it's uh, you know as scott said we're you know kind of uh you know improving that's kind of the the goal of this is each and every time you tune in hopefully it's a we, we add something to it here and as scott said now we have a little music a little bumper music coming in kind of nice
1: yeah and we thought maybe it was appropriate to to pick a song like that from obviously if you are playing along in our in our show today it's going to be tv theme songs and so we'll start right off the bat can you guess what show that comes from well, that's obviously welcome back, Cotter. Well, there you go. Welcome back, Cotter. So,
0: so I get one point for the day because <laughs> evidently I'm getting quiz today.
1: You are getting quiz as well as everybody who's listening. So we're going to have fun with this today. We, we we Of the feedback that we've gotten so far, it seems like audience participation, uh, top 10 lists, favorites seem to be what everybody enjoys the most with, with regards to uh, Gen X playback. So I thought it might be fun to do a play along for all the listeners didn't really do too much research because, as as you'll find out, a lot of the theme songs that we are going to play, uh, you know, Sean and I have watched many times over the years. So we're going to be able to riff off of these shows just on our personal thoughts about uh, TV. And we're going to start, uh, you know, as we'll, you'll see there's sort of a chronological order to it. We'll start in the 70s okay. and then work our way up into the 90s. Not so many shows in the 90s. I think we p- kind of proved... Good. We kind of proved that uh, Sean and I were a little bit more into movies in the 90s as opposed to, uh, you know, television. But there are still some pretty uh, uh, significant television shows that we are obviously going to be covering in the in the 1990s as well. So we're going to do all that. And
0: final thoughts before we hit you up. Right. So as we're, uh, you know, we're doing this, I I thought um, it. If the way we're going to, pro- my score is probably going to come out is I'm probably going to be pretty strong in the 70s because mm-hmm. I did watch a lot of TV as a kid in the 70s. The 80s, uh, I'm I'm going to be a hit or miss just because when we got MTV at at, at home, that became my main television station that I watched. The we had ESPN. And we also have prism. So, and you know, watch a lot of sports, watch a lot of movies. So, probably in about the mid '80s, I didn't watch a lot of TV, and where I just parked myself in front of the television and just watched whatever came on. You know, I had some shows that I liked. Uh, hopefully, they're they're part of this. Well, we're going to start with a couple of layups. Okay, you know, this
1: is this is not going to. There aren't too many three pointers on this particular. All right, episode. because when we get to the '90s, I'm going to be clueless. <laughs> You'll be surprised. Okay. All right, so. Without uh, further ado, let's, let's start things off with song number one, kind of appropriately picked here, I think, for our, for our first song in uh, TV theme songs, because this one really does kind of define perhaps Gen X playback. Even our parents uh, might have a big part to do with this. So let's, uh, let's start with song number one.
0: All right, song number one. Well, that would be the theme to the Tonight Show with uh, Johnny Carson.
1: Very good. Do you remember who played the trumpet on that?
0: That would be Doc Severinsen.
1: Doc Severinsen, very famous trumpet player. Actually, I just remember Doc Severinsen from the Tonight
0: Show. That's all I know him from,
1: and so I, I really couldn't tell you anything else that he that he did. But evidently, he was a very respected and renowned trumpet player. He was like best friends with guys from the band Chicago, remember Chicago when they, in the seventies, they they were very known for their horns and Doc Severinsen, according to what I read about doc was after, um, I think it was Terry Kath, the guitarist from Chicago when he accidentally killed himself. himself Yeah, and the band was going to break up and it was Doc Severinsen that kind of got everybody together and said, you need to, you need to continue this on. and, they did and i think a lot of that was in you know part of his, his encouragement so uh you know little side note well about doc you know with,
0: with with doc uh as you say you know he he was the guy on the tonight show and there was always kind of this banter going on back between johnny and doc you know johnny would use the banter with ed mcmahon sure but he always had this little funny little riff going with doc uh you know doc um you know that's a nice jacket you've got on there
1: because doc Doc always had the wild the flashy clothes
0: and what i remember though is and maybe i'll get the last name wrong but was it tommy david what was tommy's name the the guy that was in the band that would always fill in for doc i think it was tommy donaldson okay something like that where so doc i knew was a big enough deal where he would take his band his big band on the road and whenever he wasn't there and he was on the road tommy would fill in for him right So, yeah, that's. that's, All right.
1: Well, look at that. You can see right off the bat, we we broke the ice with us. Okay. It's nice nice and easy. Yep. All right. So, now let's go into uh, theme song number two another layup.
0: Okay. That would be Monday Night
1: Football. And as Gen Xers, you know, we kind of grew up. And maybe people's parents might remember uh, Monday Night Football mm-hmm. in its heyday. Because really when, when Monday Night Football was cranking out
0: at its best, it was in the 70s. It was in the 70s. And, you know, that was my poor attempt at a Howard Cosell impersonation. And it was, you know, Howard was, you know, kind of the, the, the I mean, he wasn't the main guy on uh monday night football but you know he, he was you know probably the voice that people would associate with monday night football sure and uh, a lot of people loved dandy don meredith Dandy don when he was saying turn off the lights the party's over and when the
1: game got out of hand i think what a lot of people liked about don meredith is he didn't put up with co crap either <laughs> exactly Yeah, there's right. the, the two of them would literally argue in the studio during a game especially if it was a blowout which as many of you know when uh, monday night football was uh, all the years and all the games there were a lot of blowouts in, in Monday Night Football games, so uh, chances are, if the score was not in doubt, then Howard and Don typically turned on each other. Right. With Frank Gifford being the
0: uh, the middleman. We can't forget Frank. He was he. Always, yes, he always did play the straight man. And yeah. it was kind of interesting with Frank. I, as a little kid, I knew him from Monday Night Football. I didn't really know that he was a football player and a, a Hall of Fame football player. Exactly. Until I got older. And, you know, kind of started hearing some of the the legendary stories between the Giants and the Eagles games that that had happened, and that what a big deal Frank Gifford was. So Pat Summerall,
1: famous CBS and Fox sports broadcaster, uh, play-by-play guy with John Madden for many decades, told a story about Frank Gifford as a player because Pat Summerall was also a player for the New York Giants mm-hmm. back when they were when they were in their heyday. So the Eagles, uh, the one championship that they won in 1960. And in the on, on their way in the playoffs, they defeated the Giants. And uh, Frank Gifford, at the end of the game, gets hit by Chuck Bednarik. Concrete Charlie. With such a force that Pat Summerall said, on the sideline, uh, we just heard this crack. And he's laying there motionless. Now, this is at the end of the game. Well, Philadelphia fans celebrate so wildly. One of the fans... Has a heart attack and dies in the stands. Okay, all right. So they end up taking him out uh, to the to the ambulance, and they're rolling him out on a gurney with a sheet over his head. Pat Summerall said the Giants players were convinced that that was Frank Gifford. Okay, uh, you know that they were rolling out. They they thought Chuck Bednarik killed him.
0: Yeah, one of the all time famous photos is Chuck Bednarik standing over top of Frank. You know. Right after the hit
1: Yeah So we digressed away from TV theme songs But I thought but okay Alright uh, good oh, uh, Two for two I'm two two pretty, pretty two. proud of myself Alright here we go um, Song number three Is another song I'm, I'm, I'm pretty convinced That you'll nail this right off the bat So uh, Another famous song from the 1970s Very hot Popular television show
0: <laughs> Okay <laughs> That would be uh, Three's Company Very good I can almost uh, see Jack come running through the door
1: right now. You know what I thought was interesting about uh, what I learned about the theme song for this TV show is, you know how they do the opening shots, right? Mm -hmm. Jack's riding his bike, he passes a brunette, and then he loses his focus. Falls off his bicycle, yeah. Do you know who the brunette was? I have no idea. It was Suzanne Summers wearing a brunette wig. Really? Yes. All right. So I, I thought I thought that that was that was pretty interesting. So Three's Company was a, was a show that ended up. I think they ran about eight nine seasons, and you know, John Ritter solidified himself as one of the best physical comics in TV, maybe even television history. If you go decade by decade, I mean, obviously um he got a lot of respect from like the dick van dykes the lucille balls people who were known for physical comedy mm-hmm. before and and he kind of was the one guy there aren't too many people in that era to sort of pass the torch from one to the next but uh, he
0: certainly certainly made his mark as a physical comic right but still my my two favorite characters on the show were larry uh a bit of a sleazeball and uh stanley roper mr roper mr yeah. roper a- absolutely okay so,
1: you are now three for three. Okay. And I, I'm pretty sure you'll get this next one, even though it's not a regular television show, but you'll catch on to it right away. Something that we, we even talked about in one of our previous episodes. This was done by the, the famous John
0: Williams, who did scored many soundtracks. Right, that would be the... Uh, it, it. The I think it was ABC's intro to the Olympics. Yep.
1: The Olympic theme done by yeah. by uh John Williams. So yeah, very good. All right. So uh John Williams, as we know, he did he did Star Wars, he did you know, Halloween you know, he did many no it wasn't uh, he did do Halloween, but he he scored a lot of those kind of big grandiose mm-hmm. uh, soundtracks for movies back then, which sort of became um he kind of set the trend for it i guess you, you could say he did in the late 70s where these uh you know these um these movies now had uh, scores these orchestral movements that were like symphonies in their own right i mean it was like uh, of the same level as like a, a beethoven or a mozart where they're they're really throwing everything into with a full piece orchestra to to do these movie
0: soundtracks right and you know that that song yeah, it, is kind of to me very similar to the rocky theme i don't know if that's on the list or not but in a way it it starts to it kind of get you primed and you're, you're kind of starting to get a little excited so ready for the for the big event all right so let's go into song
1: number five again another another layup I, um these are these are pretty easy uh we're going back to the 1970s with this one <laughs> But what a fun,
0: st- you know, these are great. These are great theme songs. do you agree? They would be uh, Sanford and Sons. I can, you know, with, the, with Red Fox, Fred Sanford, Lamont, the big dummy. Yep. Lamont always uh, stopping his
1: dad because dad, uh, you know, would get into some... Uh, caper or another well usually
0: grady had something to do with that uh, i was gonna say and on right. esther had to come in and you know be some com- comedic relief
1: and then uh, yep poor uh poor esther would always be the uh, bear the brunt of yeah. the jokes from everybody and in, well, in well, from from fred all right so you're five for five so far and i certainly expect that you will now become six for six with this one with uh song number six
0: Well, before they actually tell me where they're going, it's Sesame Street. Very good.
1: And, you know, it's funny because you and I didn't really
0: watch no. Sesame Street, no. which which is funny because so many of my friends did. And our, our next door neighbor, Brian Henry. Uh, Brian, if you're out there listening, we, we at least I remember that we we would be out in the yard playing, and when Sesame Street came on, his mom would call, and they, he had to go inside and they watch. They had to watch it, yeah. yeah it because it was educational. So Brian and Allison, they always had to go back into the house and watch, which was the opposite from our uh, family, where our mom kicked us outside and told us to stop watching television. Yep, exactly. So, so maybe that was- that's why we didn't watch Sesame Street, because <laughs> it was educational.
1: Well, and, and plus, Sesame Street kind of fell around that time when we watched our cartoons. which was <laughs> pre- right. Which was a previous episode. <laughs> that's right.
0: If, if it was between something educational,
1: cartoons, you know what the High Brothers are going to pick we are watching, uh, you know, Bugs Bunny uh, and, and Yosemite Sam blow things up. So <laughs> Exactly that, right. That's what we were into. All right. So six for six. Here comes theme song number seven. You might have to think about this one a little bit.
0: Boy, I'm not sure. I'm... Is this, are we still 70s? 70s. Um, I Boy, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I'm, I'm going to guess it's, it's one of those um, like Rockford Files type of shows. So that's what I'm going with. Rockford Files? Yeah. You would be correct. Hey, all right. Files. All
1: right. Good, good job. Written by Mike Post who is going to be all over this list.
0: Okay. I don't, to, I don't know who Mike Post is. Mike
1: Post wrote so many theme songs, and I'll bring them up every time that that he uh, wrote them, but you'll be uh, absolutely amazed how many theme songs he has written over the years for all the networks. Okay. So The Rockford Files is just the first one that he's going to be a part of. But even some of the the shows that we don't have on this list, like, say, for example, Law & Order. Yeah, he wrote the theme song, The Law and Order. You know what?
0: And that's kind of why I said, you know, what era is that? Because it did have kind of that 80s sound to it a little bit. And once again, I don't know if this was on your list, or not, but the, what I thought of initially was like L.A. Law. It, okay, Did he do L.A. Law? Do you know? Maybe I oh, okay. did. Maybe I didn't. <laughs> All right. <laughs> because it, it does kind of have that, that standard intro. And, you know, yeah, Rockford Files, a show I watch occasionally, not yeah. a lot. Yeah, it was uh starring Jim Garner
1: mm-hmm. who was famous to people in our parents generation uh, in a lot of westerns he was on the show Maverick sure. which ended up being remade by um
0: uh Mel Gibson Mel
1: Gibson yeah and yeah. Jodie Foster
0: which was a fun movie once again i know the movie better than i know the show right i didn't even know it was a show till after the movie came out and they talked about it correct and
1: then jim garner was actually in right made a cameo yeah he was in that as the. all right i got that one i'm kind of impressed now you are seven for seven here comes number eight i don't think this is going to be a big uh a tough one there we go
0: I remember this totally. Okay. All right. Let me see. If I listen long enough, we'll give me the, uh, the title. No, it won't. <laughs> All right. There's a new girl in town. Um, so it's going to be something like Alice. I'm going with Alice. That is correct. hey, hey.
1: Yep, that is Alice, starring Linda Lavin, and obviously one of our favorite '70s characters of all time, Flo,
0: kiss my grits. Absolutely, and, Mel
1: and Mel Sharples,
0: because the that's chilly in Arizona. Well, the that was the kind of the theme of this was you know Alice had a son, Tommy, who had I think allergies or asthma or something, so they were moving to Arizona, which is what you did back then, you know, because the. You didn't have the ability to regulate the indoor climate like you can today. So if you had a condition, you needed to go to a dry climate like Arizona.
1: Well, I think he ended up staying there because I thought the original, um, the original pilot was that she wanted to go to L.A. to start a singing career.
0: Okay. could And, be.
1: and that they broke down. And on they, their way to arizona and they broke right. down in right. arizona on their way to la and that they needed money okay to, could be right i could be to, 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 to get their station wagon fixed because you know I,
0: knew, I i do remember they were driving there in the station wagon
1: if you're a gen xer chances are your family had a station wagon so we certainly did we certainly had it and it was a big one too it
0: was a 1972 ford marquee station wagon
1: yeah, I think we got the off-brand. I think
0: we got the Mercury. So, <laughs> so if you uh, if you saw uh, National Lampoon's Family Vacation and the Family Truckster, our car was kind of like that. Only it wasn't green; it was yellow. Yeah, not too far off with the wood paneling on yeah. the side. So, yep. All
1: right, so Sean, you're eight for eight so far. Mm-hmm. All right, now here here comes another one. You'll uh, yeah, we're kind of getting towards the end of the '70s. So, this one has no no singing in it. So you might have to think about it a little bit.
0: So to me, this is written by that same guy. Mike Post. Yeah. It, it has that sound to it. Okay. Um It's, a, it's the seventies. Is it a to show like Dallas? That's what I'm going with.
1: You're going with Dallas? Yeah. You would be correct. Yeah.
0: Alright. The theme it, from Dallas. Did that did the Post rate this one as well?
1: You know, his name didn't come up with, with that particular one but it's certainly kind of if it's not written by him it sure sure copied the sound
0: wow i I'm, i actually can't believe i got that right because i didn't watch dallas
1: i watched it a little bit i mean other than
0: the famous who shot jr
1: that was a big deal yeah and and you know one of our favorite shows of all time the simpsons actually did a spoof on it who shot mr burns <laughs> and it, it ended up being the baby it was maggie <laughs> as uh troy mcclure said afterwards <laughs> and it was the baby um but anyway it, it was it was dallas was the number one show on tv at the time mm-hmm. so and it was a, a big comeback for cbs because at that particular moment when they came on the air abc was dominating uh prime as we
0: we kind of documented in, that in episode sure. number
1: two so to have a show now kind of give the resurgence and dallas really sort of gained momentum Right around that whole urban cowboy, John Travolta, mm-hmm. you know, country music sort of made its way into the mainstream and was very popular for a number of years. And this was that window. And Dallas being down south, and it was in the uh, you know in the early '80s, uh, people in the in in the south with oil were making a lot of money. So it was kind of cool because they were they were cowboys, but yet they were businessmen. And uh, you know, Larry Hagman, one of the great. As Jr. Ewing, one of the great TV characters of all time,
0: and, and that and that's what I was thinking while we were talking. Is you know the only re- real thing that I remember from the show is you know Jr. Who was one of the 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 biggest villains of all time on television.
1: Well, he was and he wasn't. You know how we we talked about that with some of our movies. You know we talked about The Silence of the Lambs and how Hannibal Lecter he was a villain, but you know, in, in a way, he was actually kind of helping uh, Clarice Starling. But at times, you know, when when Jar was cutthroat, he was a businessman.
0: He was a cutthroat businessman, yep.
1: Although, uh, you know, he wouldn't always follow the lines, the straight and narrow, uh, but he did what he needed to get done. Um, but there were times in the show where he would surprise people and actually be a decent person. Like he was, for the most part, he was very loyal to his brother Bobby. And even though, you know, he would try and like, uh, do business where he gets, you know, cuts him out of deals and things like that. But on a personal relationship, they're still his brother. Right, right. Yeah. But, okay. So you are now nine for nine. Mm -hmm. I fully expect that you'll get, uh, you'll you'll get number 10 correctly. So this is...
0: So this one's a little more obscure. Yes. And the... We did talk about this show in our 70s shows, and that would be soap. That is correct. That is soap.
1: Now, one thing I, I think it's important for me to point out is that almost all of these shows were in the top 10 at one point or another. So these were popular shows. Mm-hmm. I you know I didn't want to throw anything that was too terribly obscure although if you get this next one this this is the three pointer here okay coming up
0: this is number 10 on the list
1: this you just answered number 10 so okay. you're 10 for 10 so we gave you 10 layups to get to get things started so now you're going to now you're going to now it's going to be a little bit this one's going to be a little bit more challenging okay all right so if you can get this one I'll be I will be super impressed but when you hear it, it you're you're going to be like Where do I know this from before
0: and this is to an actual television show television show well it's it's they're really building the tension yes they are right now Uh, can you give me the network NBC an NBC show and this wasn't a miniseries this was an actual show on NBC because it has kind of that bigger bigger than life yes sort of it, 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 where you know kind of along the lines of what they were doing with Dallas you know that was kind of showing the the affluence so mm-hmm. this would it, this is either something country or western related where this is some falcon crest type of family but falcon crest was on cbs oh i i have no idea okay I, i'm not even gonna guess let let's let me see if i
1: can remember this this intro okay unless you
0: would give me some more hints but I, right. i'm
1: not remembering we'll, it we'll we'll start over again see i'm doing this strictly off off the top of my head all right so here's the intro The year is 1987, and NASA launches the last of America's spacecraft, Ranger 3, and its pilot, Captain William Buck Rogers. There okay. you go. So it's Buck, Buck Rogers. Rogers.
0: Yeah. Never, never would have come up with that one. It was that Gil Gerard.
1: Gil Gerard. And now here you have the, with the lovely Aaron Gray as Colonel Wilma I,
0: I just, I was just picturing Aaron Gray as the next person that's going to be shown. Yep. So, All right, Buck then, Rogers.
1: Uh, you know, I always talk about my affinity and appreciation for Mel Blanc. He was a part of the show.
0: Yeah, he was that little robot. Tweaky. Tweaky. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Beety, beety, The Thanks, well, w- Buck. W- it was Buck Rogers and something else. was not like the 21st century or... It was Buck Rogers in the 25th century. 25th century. Yeah. Yeah. Remember,
1: he was asleep for 500 years. And in the pilot episode, he's he gets in a... They're in a, in a battle... And there's one of the old veteran pilots. He's like, young man. And Buck's like, I'm not that young. And he's like, oh, guarantee I'm older than, you know, and, and, you know, it's just kind of a funny moment. Okay. All right. Back to another layup for you. Man, I got got one wrong. All right. Well, you're going to feel, you're going to, you're going to get back on, on the wheel. One of my favorite theme songs of all time.
0: Whatever became of me. I'm living on the air in Cincinnati. I think he's familiar with this one. Cincinnati WKRP. Yep, great show. WKRP in Cincinnati. Just The more, the more um,
1: as I got older and saw these on reruns, the, the more I love this show. It's such a good show because... You know, Sean and I, in our in our past lives, we actually worked for a radio station. I know, that that's had, what I That had so much similarity to the characters yeah. on the show, especially the sales force. Now we had no Jennifer, uh, Lonnie Anderson. There was no, no Lonnie Anderson. That oh no! There. But as far as the people, the Les Nesmans and the Herb Tarlicks of the world, <laughs> absolutely. Um, our first uh, radio job was in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, a small 500 watt AM station. Where we did sports. We did play by play for local high school sports and yeah, some of my favorite moments of, of all time, you know, when we when we did those games. But man, does that the, the the WKR every time we went to the Christmas dinner, mm-hmm. it reminded me of Herb Tarlick and Les Nesman, because of the of, of the people that we worked around,
0: one hundred percent true. And, and I, you know, I think we always thought that uh, you know the characters from WKRP in Cincinnati were were made up and just goofy. And then we actually worked around radio people, and I, whoever created the show, you know, knew that. I mean, they they pulled from their experience and had these characters. Either that, or um, the people that we worked with watched the show and admired. Uh, Les Nesman and Herb Tarlick, and decided they were going to become them.
1: But the the show itself centered around a very small radio station in Cincinnati. The owner, uh, Mister Carlson, mm-hmm. and uh, Andy Travis was brought in as the program director to kind of turn things around. And as the it, you know, if you follow the show, eventually they do become the number one station in Cincinnati uh, as an AM station. So it was. Uh, but they brought in well, they, you know, they had Johnny Fever, Doctor Johnny Fever, who. Before that was Johnny, oh, uh, what was it? Calavente or something like that. That was his. That was his name when they were playing easy listening music. Mm-hmm. And of course, they had Venus Flytrap, mm-hmm. who uh, who we really thought was a cool character. But there you go, WKRP in Cincinnati. And you got to hear Sean's singing skills as sure. well. Now this one's going to be a little tougher. Uh, this is also in the seventies, but again, an all time. Uh, you know, an all time show for in terms of viewership and popularity. A lot of famous people came out of this particular TV show. So, there's a little bit of a build up on this one. Who can turn the world
0: around? I can tell you, you can turn the world in with her smile. that would be married to her Very
1: good. I I thought you would struggle with that. Oh one. no,
0: uh, uh-uh, no. That was. I think. I think as kids, we saw that show. We did. Yeah, our yeah. parents.
1: Our parents thought that show was was pretty funny. Yeah. So, um, I always remember the, the people that I remember were uh, Gavin McLeod, who ended up going on to the Love Boat, um, and then Ted Knight, obviously, as the anchor. Ted Knight you know, was hilarious on that oh, show. He was great on that show, and but it was it was one of those ensemble. Um, cast that was uh Jim Brooks I think was the guy who who was behind the the producer for that show and a lot of just about everybody on that show ended up going on to do other things I mean it was a it was a powerhouse cast and uh the thing I remember about Mary Tyler Moore who just recently you know passed away about a year or so ago was that she was her and Lucille Ball were kind of the pioneers on the business side of TV production because Uh, Lucy and Desi Arnaz had uh, Desilu Studios which was the pioneer for TV production period not just for uh, for females running a studio but um, Mary Tyler Moore was MTM and her and her husband ran that as well and they ended up producing a ton of very popular shows in the 1970s as well but uh, you know she knew she knew where her salary lied, and that was in this show. And it was great; it was a great show, very well known. It was,
0: and and a lot of the show was based on uh, Mary's interaction with Mr. Grant. Mm-hmm. You know, with Ed Asner, with you know, Lou Grant was the crotchety old, uh, you know, guy that ran the uh, the, the station of television station, and you know, they they would do the news, and you know, Mr. Grant did not like necessarily women being involved in in certain roles, and Mary was kind of showing Mr. Grant that she was competent and there was always this, this back and forth between the two of them.
1: You know, you, you bring up a good point because I think the producers of their time back then, the Jim Brooks, the Norman Lears of the time, they they kind of met those prejudices head on. Whereas I, I think now TV studios tend to be a little politically correct. But I, I think, um uh, you know, by, with, you know, Archie Bunker meeting the Jeffersons and George Jefferson and and Mary Tyler Moore uh, getting meeting uh, Lou Grant for uh, Ed Asner's character with you know as far as their prejudices and Mel Sharples and Alice certainly had his set mm-hmm. of pre- you know uh, the fact that people were able to show themselves in a in a uh, environment where the the prejudice doesn't necessarily uh, apply here and and that people were able to show I, I think it gave them more credibility than just as shows and networks avoiding it all sure
0: and oftentimes with all those characters that you mentioned with those different shows, you might have a character that comes in with some type of prejudice and then but deep down they kinda of have a good heart and then they eventually kinda of work it out and and come around and that's what you would see oftentimes with with Mary and, and Lou, that Lou really respected her at, yeah. you know, as the show went on.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. So yeah, no, I like that show. Okay, all right. So you are in 12 out of 13. This is now TV theme number 14. This this is going to be an easy one. Oh, that's MASH. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's one of the probably most recognizable intros in, in all of television history.
1: Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. And and again, it's doesn't need words. Just the, the theme song itself is iconic. Yeah. and if you are a fan of television history you know that the mash uh, the final episode mm-hmm. I believe is still the most viewed season finale in, in television history it, yeah if it's not it's it's one or two and
0: that was you know I'm, I'm you know pulling that off the top of my head i think it was like 1983 ish that that finale was on and i I remember while we weren't really fans of the show i mean we watch it occasionally we we weren't riveted to it i remember thinking oh i gotta watch this because Mm -hmm. everyone's making such a big deal about it and you know we did tune in yeah absolutely all right
1: so that was number 14 here's number 15 and i certainly suspect that you will get this one correct i think this this show was a little bit more my favorite than yours, but I think you enjoyed the show as well.
0: Sure. This would be the theme to The Muppet Show. Very good. Do, 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 It's time to play the music. It's
1: time to light the lights. It's time to meet the Muppets on the Muppet Show tonight. Bum, bum, bum. It's time to put on a... I'm going let this one play out a little bit. Bum, <laughs> That's what I wanted to wait for. (laughs) Uh, What a a fun show that was. And, you know, Jim Henson, I I read a little bit of the history of The Muppet Show. And originally he he, um, pitched it to all the networks and got rejected by every one of them, even though they had some, uh, you know, Jim Henson was directly responsible for Sesame Street. correct? But he wanted to create something a little bit more adults, not necessarily focusing strictly on children. So he wanted to come, you know, came up with the Muppets, who had actually worked on, believe it or not, folks, if, if you didn't know this, you may know this already, but uh, Saturday Night Live in its first season had the Muppets in it. And they would do these bits with, um, with the cast, uh, the original cast of SNL. And uh, Lauren Michaels said they did that to get some network approval, but once the show became successful, he couldn't get the Muppets out of there fast enough because I guess Jim Henson was notoriously difficult to work with okay. because of how he felt his characters should go. Um, in the book, uh, the, History, the History of Saturday Night Live, there's somebody came to Jim Henson about writing something in the script for Kermit, and Jim Henson said, well, Kermit would never say that. And the guy's like dumbfounded, like it's a puppet <laughs> it'll say whatever you tell it you know he's not a person yeah
0: but it, for to defend jim hansen i mean that's how you have longevity true I and mean, you control what your characters you know say what they do how, how they're presented these because yeah sure it's just a puppet but the voice coming out of the puppet is what people are going to identify with sure
1: yeah and uh many people may not know that the voice of kermit was jim henson up until you know when he passed away in 1990 and so that's probably why when you hear Kermit speaking now, he doesn't quite have that clear, authentic Kermit voice. Like, uh, I know there are cartoons like Family Guy, they kind of make fun of that, where now he sounds more like Barry White on okay. Family Guy than he, than he did like Kermit. Um, one of the things in my family, you, my kids used to crack up is when we would drive to the beach and a song would come on the radio and I would sing it in the voice of Kermit the Frog, mm-hmm. every song. Yeah. Which is great. Cause it's, it's sort of universal. You can make it apply to, to just about everything. So you just had to em- emphasize everything on the, on the back end of the word, whether it's, you know, the, is like, he's not Kermit the, the frog, he's Kermit the frog. And you just kind of have to drag everything out a little bit and, you know, why are there so many songs about rainbows and, you know, welcome to the Muppet show, everyone. And so he, that was Jim Henson doing the voice of Kermit the Frog. Well, to tell
0: you a story about the, uh, the voice of Kermit the Frog is I took your son Nolan to go see the Muppet movie back. Uh, it was Christmas 2010. Okay, So either it was either in December or January, that was my Christmas gift to him. And so, you know, he's like, what, 10, 11 years old at the time, went to the movie, and I made the mistake of actually doing a Kermit the Frog voice, and he said, Dad does it better. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay, I guess I'm not going to do it. Maybe the first and last time Nolan gave me credit
1: for well, anything. Well, I didn't so. do it to your face, <laughs> but, you know, it was, I think it was more of a criticism of me than a compliment of you. <laughs> All right. Number 16, here's another, here's another layup for you. Another popular, very popular show that ran. On up. This is another this is another show that ran for a long time, probably ten years, seventies mm-hmm. and eighties.
0: Yeah, this this was the Jeffersons, of course, and a great long run for a show that is amazing. When you have a spinoff from All in the Family that, in many ways, had. A longer run i mean i i don't have the years in front of me but you know the jeffersons went well into the 80s yeah i want to say it lasted until about 86 yeah yeah so they were they were on
1: for about 10 seasons and the interesting thing about about the show the jeffersons is sherman hensley was all about doing the spinoff um however uh isabel sanford who, who played his wife she was in real life they were actually about 20 20 years apart
0: yeah, she was much older. She was much older. Yeah. And she
1: was deathly afraid that she was going to lose her paying gig because for the first time in her career, she had some stability.
0: Well, it's kind of like we, we talked about with the Ropers, you know, where, you know, uh, Norman Feld, who was Mr. Roper, he didn't want to leave, uh, you know, Three's company because of that stability. And what happened to him was what uh, Isabel Sanford feared. You know, the Ropers did not work out, and he was not allowed to return to the show. So the Jeffersons were a very funny uh, couple that was on All in the Family. You know, they played the Bunkers' Next Door Neighbors, Mm -hmm. and interesting with how Norman Lear created the characters, where Archie was a bigoted white guy, and George Jefferson was a bigoted black guy.
1: But again, I think that's kind of the brilliance of Norman Lear in how the the social commentary you have these these two guys butting heads they're the same guy but they're you know at at the end of the day you know are they horrible people no uh they're not no. uh, because they always seem to find some type of a common ground they do it in a funny way cuz they bicker and they argue but uh you know it's it was just his way of sort of taking on those those um i guess you could say those uh, uh stereotypes
0: and also with george I, I like the way that they they showed that you know George was kind of driven to be successful. He had Jefferson Dry Cleaners, mm-hmm. and he did so well with six locations with that. Where when he starts out on all the family, they're in a very much a working class neighborhood, and it's a step up for them to go to this white working class neighborhood and own a house. They he does so well that now he's moving on up to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Yeah,
1: you know. So they you know they went from uh, you know like you said like. Uh, middle-class and now he wants to go and and rub shoulders with the elite right which is which is what you do you know when you're living um you know over by central park in new york city in manhattan that's kind of the pinnacle of you know people that grew up in that area if you grew up in any of the boroughs whether it's the bronx queens uh you know staten island long island uh you know for you to get to uh you know the towers of Central Park and live around in Manhattan. You, you, you've I'm made kind it. say you've made it. Life, sure. So. I
0: mean, yeah, more so probably than most most places in the country outside of maybe, you know, the Los Angeles area. Mm-hmm. That's you're you're talking some of the most prime real estate in the entire country. And, and the fact that they're portraying George Jefferson, who, as you learn throughout the show, the Jeffersons really came from nothing because his mom is is a frequent character that appears on the show that you know who mrs jefferson does not get along with with her mother-in-law that well yes uh but uh yeah it it, it was always kind of nice to see how how that you know portrayed you know george being a success yeah all right so here comes
1: theme song number 17 i think you'll get this one this was a pretty popular show back in its day now you're talking late 70s Mm -hmm. uh this one has a little bit more of a disco sound to it which i think is kind of funny but um it won't be at all dated Oh no, yeah right. (laughs) Let it go.
0: Okay, I know that part. Okay, now, what, uh, what, what kind of genre of show is this? More of a drama? No, it was...
1: It had some very light-hearted moments to it, but usually
0: revolved around fighting crime. Okay. Some lighthearted fighting crime moments. Um, and, and what network would this be? This would be NBC. Yeah, he stumped me with those NBC shows. That little thing I, 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 I totally recognize. Um, man, what would be lighthearted crime-fighting and I know people are, are listening to the podcast, are screaming at me with the answer, and I I don't know. Okay, so the I, I need I need a clue.
1: Motorcycles.
0: Oh, chips. Chips. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, All right. No. Nope. Yep. Nope, nope. Yep. So totally get it. Yep. Sure. So we'll give you we'll give you partial. You're right. That is is late-hearted <laughs> crime fighting. There. That's uh, you know, with John, and and Punch. Yep. You have Frank Poncharello, and- Eric Estrada.
1: And certainly, how could i not know
0: that i love that that punch character
1: and eric estrada was the you know if you were a young lady listening to the show back in the late 70s early 80s you know if you didn't love eric estrada you i'd be surprised because a lot of the girls i went to school with certainly loved eric estrada uh from
0: chips and he had the um, kind of the the tailored uniform that would like you know it was really tight around the biceps because he liked to show off the guns.
1: Well, all the police uniforms they were all wearing. Yeah, but his was a
0: little more tailored than what John's was.
1: <laughs> it's just funny because it, it it's so it so encompassed the era. You know, you're talking late seventies, and uh, so yeah, everybody was in because the motorcycles they they rode Harley Davidsons. Mm-hmm. The motorcycles were big. The cars that they were chasing were big. Yeah, you know, it just it was kind of one of those grandiose over the top sort of tv shows but to a young kid like we were when chips first came out i think it might have been like seven or eight years old so it was it was fun for me it It definitely
0: was late 70s kind of fell into
1: that dukes of hazard yeah sort of, of sort of uh you know like you know you got these you got these criminals but they're smart but they're not that smart you know they always somehow get tricked into getting caught and getting arrested so at the end of the episode you make a big arrest right? and
0: and ponch and john would usually have a, a funny one-liner at the end of the episode that's right Th- that, yeah no that that, that was a good show yeah okay all right so that was uh
1: number 17 so here's number 18 and i'd be impressed if you got this one but this was this was kind of a fun show as well
0: Oh, BJ and the Bear.
1: There you go. Yep. <laughs> I figured you were going to get it at some point because it's in there
0: <laughs> when they reference BJ. Yeah. But this is my favorite
1: part of the song. <laughs> New dreams and better scenes, and best of all, I don't pay. Got checks. And yeah. the funny, the funny thing is, BJ and the Bear in its first season was really popular, and then they kind of wrote themselves off the network in the second season because they completely changed the whole sort of the format of the shows where as opposed to bj being the driver now he's owning this trucking company in la and he has to hire these pinup models to to drive the trucks for him and i mean the fans just certainly didn't buy it i don't even remember that
0: i i I wasn't watching
1: it's it it tanked after season one Uh, but well you
0: know there (laughs) there was this whole movement kind of in the 70s right around smoking the bandit Mm -hmm. where it was cool to be a truck driver that there you know people got into the cb radios it was you know it was i don't want to say new technology but it was technology that people could interact now we we text each other and, and you'll go on twitter and you know interact that way but back then it was through the cb radio and you could actually communicate with with all these different people so being a truck driver is considered really cool in the 70s that's
1: right and uh, you know in our station wagon because our dad was a former truck driver yeah He did have a CB radio in the station wagon. And do you
0: remember what his handle was? I don't remember at all. Uh,
1: Yellow handle. (laughs) Okay. It was yellow handle.
0: Well, you know, and and part of the reason why being a truck driver was looked at as cool was for what uh, BJ just sang there – it was greg something or other right wasn't he the uh the guy that was the main character
1: yeah he was in a couple of other shows he uh, was in
0: the show my two dads my two dads with the, paul riser yeah so a- anyways he um he talked about he doesn't pay property tax
1: greg evigan
0: there you go so uh and that was one of the things was when you were a truck driver in the 70s you 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 were kind of considered this this guy who play by his own rules he set his own time and he just had to be at a certain destination and he could kind of do what he wanted to do he's an independent person and there was a lot of almost a cowboy freedom to that
1: yeah well you're right yeah and i think that brings up a good point because he's not tied down to it's it's a free lifestyle sure
0: he may have an employer but oftentimes like bj i think he was an independent contractor so he would just pick up loads on his own i don't I think he owned his own truck. He did, Yes. yes.
1: And uh, being a being a truck driver myself, having a, having a CDL license, when you anybody who's ever kind of walked into those truck stops, no matter where they're at in the country, they all kind of have the same vibe to them because it's sort of like this clan. It's a very same clannish, personality type. Is very much to so. That. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. So whether you're in a you know a truck stop in Pennsylvania or a truck stop in Colorado or a truck stop in California, chances are there's going to be very similar. Uh, you know, environment to it because of the people that go in there. Because they, these are the same people that travel across the country.
0: Yeah, and and then one last thing with with BJ and the bear is when I was in college at out at Heston, I, I I there was a guy in my dorm, his name was BJ. His name was BJ Grove. So and and poor BJ Grove, I gave the nickname uh, BJ McKay, <laughs> and as a result, and he hated this everybody on our floor referred to him as mckay okay yeah and because i said when the first time i met him, I'm like hey he's like yeah my name's bj i go like bj and the bear and he was not happy with me
1: yeah oh uh, yeah and and now here it is 30 some <laughs> years after that uh, it's, um we're bringing back the memory of bj and the bear hopefully and bj
0: grove uh is out there
1: still being brought up yeah all right so this is song number 19 i'll be impressed if you get this one this is a little bit more of a challenging one
0: Okay, I recognize it, but it doesn't have lyrics, so uh, I'm gonna need some some clues. First clue: What network? It should be ABC. Ooh, okay. So what I was thinking is not what the show is. Was it? Uh, what what type of? I'm going to say genre again. Like, what type of show was it? Sitcom. Oh, sitcom. Man, I'm glad I didn't say what I was thinking initially, because I'm way off. A sitcom. And we're talking 70s? Started in the 70s, yeah. And this was a show we watched.
1: We even talked about it in one of our previous episodes.
0: Okay, I need a little bit of a clue.
1: Uh, just a slight little clue it was based on a stand-up comic
0: well it was starring
1: a stand-up comic
0: starring a stand-up comic on abc in the late 70s hmm and we watched it we watched it
1: uh give me a little more kind of a spinoff not really a spinoff
0: all right. You spoke about this. In Is our, it was in it our, was it Benson with Robert Guillaume? No. Oh, okay. No.
1: It was Mork and Mindy.
0: Mork and Mindy.
1: Yeah. Remember? Remember how you talked about it in in our in our seventies? Yeah. TV, yeah. It was a spinoff of happy days. It, it was a spin off, but it wasn't really a spinoff. That's be, right. Yeah. Because of uh, that was Gary Mork and Mindy. From, See, and Mindy. I mean, I
0: can remember the intro, but the music just didn't stand out to me.
1: Yeah. I, it it was kind of after the beginning because that was the trumpets when they start coming in. That's what reminds because it's the of the of his egg shaped. Okay, saucer i mean i
0: totally now can visualize it but now without yeah nope you got me on that one
1: okay now well, let's see here so let's go into so this is song number 20 and again a very i'll give you a hint that this tv show was popular but it was short-lived so we'll see if you can if you can guess this one but you're talking same time frame as well we're still in the 70s
0: well, that sounds the 1970s. Let the time flow, let the love grow. Let the rain shower, let the rose flower. Love it seeks, love it finds, love it conquers, love it binds. Well, they're singing a lot about love.
1: Yep. <laughs> it's about two people getting together, finding love. Maybe not necessarily from the same side of the tracks. And this started in the 70s. It was on our list in the top 10 of TV shows from episode number two. Would this be the theme to Angie? There you go. Okay. Theme to Angie. Angie, uh, Donna Pasco and Robert Hayes mm-hmm. and Doris Roberts who ended up becoming very, quite famous and everybody loves Raymond. absolutely
0: she played Marie and everybody loves Raymond and so
1: that was Angie
0: so I would give you credit
1: for that one okay. now, like I
0: said that was that was a tough one now I mean I, I do remember that because right. that, like we had said in that episode you know it's a show we watched now if you don't get this one
1: I would I'd be very disappointed in you so just let this one build up a little okay. bit but you will you will no doubt get this one so, this is the actual, this was actually released as a single and had a little bit of success.
0: I bet we've been together for a million years. let it play out. And I bet we'll be together for a million more. Ooh, it's
1: like I started
0: breathing. That's right, folks, drink it in. And, and I'm not stalling because I and do I know that's why. What we do baby okay this is the theme to my favorite show of the 1980s and that'd be family ties yep, that is correct my absolute favorite show
1: now can uh, i'll just throw this in here as a little side you already got it right yeah can you can you name the singers because they were pretty they were pretty famous as well uh, in their own right now i came can't be other did this duet it was johnny mathis and denise williams
0: I can totally hear Johnny Mathis in that. Yeah, it was Johnny Mathis. Sure, and, then, and now that I'm thinking, Dennis Williams. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah.
1: So that was their. Uh, that was that was the. They did the theme song to that, and and, and as you said, Gary David Goldberg created the show, and it was uh, hippie parents and conservative kids. Michael J. Fox and Justine Bateman, Tina Yothers were the children, and um, Michael Gross mm-hmm. and uh, Meredith Baxter, Bernie mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Or the, or the parents and yeah it, you said it's your favorite show sure. it's, it's certainly one of my Alex favorite
0: P. TV Keaton yeah. is my all-time favorite television character
1: you know we, we had mentioned um one of the greatest tv characters of of all time earlier but my Alex P. Keaton to a Gen Xer mm-hmm. I, I, I would be shocked of anybody that didn't know the name Alex P. Keaton or Michael J. Fox in the uh you know growing up in
0: the 80s sure so, yep. nope, that's that. You're you're right. That was one that I was going to knock out of the park. Love love that song and the show. Okay, this one, um, people kind of struggled on
1: this one a little bit, which surprised me because this was a very popular TV show for uh, for for uh, theme song number twenty two. So this is another uh, Mike Post creation. See, so now we're not in the we're not in the seventies anymore. We're now in the early eighties. So it's got a similar. 70s sound, but mm-hmm. it, it kind of took on.
0: Well, as I'm listening to that, Scott, I'm I'm, I'm seeing a red car, kind of driving down the road. Yeah. Would with that red car be set in Hawaii? Would that it would be? And that would be, that, that would be Magnum PI. Sure,
1: that would be Magnum PI. Sure, great Tom Selleck. Yep, in Magnum PI. And this again, like I said, this is another Mike Post. Yeah, theme song. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's something to be said about a guy that can make memorable theme songs. This really stands out as one of those memorable theme songs to me sure as soon as i hear the 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 guitar going up Mm -hmm. and he created all these out of his own head and he did he just did dozens and dozens and dozens hundreds of tv theme songs over the years but this is this one's pretty cool that's why i'm letting this one play
0: out a little bit yeah that that, that's an iconic show from the 1980s i mean it's it's still you know tom sellick has gone on to have a very long and successful career, but he's always going to be most identified as Magnum. You know, I, I read somewhere
1: that he was really one of the first characters, Thomas Magnum, was one of the first TV characters uh, on television that was a Vietnam vet, which, okay. which really I'd never thought about no, that. I didn't think about that either. Uh, you know, when when the show was created in 1981, uh, you know, Vietnam was still only six years in our rearview mirror for, for the United States, so it, that... I didn't understand it then, but I, I mean, I get it now that that was kind of a big deal to have somebody who, and, and some of the episodes covered, you know, they, they went back in time to where, you know, he was with his friends in Vietnam Mm -hmm. and uh, I never really thought about, I guess I was too young to really appreciate that part of the show. Yeah. No, I I, I didn't know that. Okay. All right. So Magnum PI was song number 22 and song number 23, uh, one of the great, if not the greatest theme song of all time. And I'm kind of, giving out a little bit of hint it's been played in many movies over the years
0: mm-hmm. well this song this actually charted right yes it did yeah, do you, you remember I don't know where it went on the charts this is from The Greatest American Hero this was a top 10 song yeah it was yeah and i didn't really watch the show
1: i watched the show um but again it was one of those shows i don't even know if it lasted three seasons i think it was only on for me i think
0: i think the song has had more staying power than what the actual show is that that it had back in the day
1: like uh like we said in our disco episode in my liner notes when i wrote it uh you know the like the
0: song uh tv show making it Mm -hmm. much better song much much better song than tv show greatest american hero it you know it, it is kind of interesting that it, it became a much bigger song than an actual show. Mm-hmm, I, I, can't, I don't know of any other, other that's ever happened with any other show.
1: Now, can you name the singer? No. Okay, it's Joey
0: Scarberry. Yes, sure. Yes. Okay, yes.
1: All right, so that was song number 23. Now, this is one of my favorite, just not necessarily the show, but the theme song itself. Uh, it's one of my favorite. For a TV theme song, this is this is one of my favorites. Just because I like the singer. I was always a closet fan of this of this particular singer growing up. We'll let this one simmer a little bit. So
0: I I, I believe this is Moonlighting's theme song. And I'm trying to think of who the singer is, Nothing could change. Is because it's not, I and mean, it kind of has that Luther Vandross type of sound to it, but it's, it's not Luther Vandross. No. A little older, John. It, it. Older older singer. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Who's the singer? Al Jarreau. Yes. Yes, Al Jarreau. That's Al Giroux, it. Absolutely.
1: Who, uh, who actually performed on the uh, We Are the World. He was one of the soloists. Yeah. One of the no. few soloists on We Are the World.
0: But, yeah, moonlighting. That uh, was Bruce Willis's kind of breakthrough. He and Sybil Shepherd uh, appeared on that. And the first couple episodes, it was I. I was I watched the show. I was a big
1: fan of moonlighting. I okay. was, and because the first couple of episodes they were partners, but they weren't romantic. And sometimes that can kill a show. Is when you have that kind of that romantic tension between uh, main characters. Mm-hmm. Cheers did it with with uh, Sam and Diane. Mm-hmm. And when they finally actually get together, it's kind of like, well, what it, do you do from now? What do we right, do from here? Right. And that's was sort of the downfall of the show was the fact that they they were both attractive people and they were attracted to each other, but they kept their distance. And then they finally get together, and now the writers are like, uh, what do we do now? So that's kind of what happened with with moonlighting. I think is a shame because it started out really strong. It was a good show,
0: and especially uh, you know Bruce Willis's character. I he, I I liked his sarcasm. Which you know, I, I think that's probably pretty true to who Bruce Willis is as a person. So it, it he came across as very charming, and uh, it uh, it, it definitely moved him forward. He became you know a pretty big movie star later on.
1: Yeah, and you know, his sense of humor, it doesn't surprise me that it sort of falls in line with what you and I always found funny because he's he actually grew up not that far from where we live. He was just on the other side of the Delaware River in uh, pensgrove new jersey so he's right there at the uh, delaware new jersey uh line right there along the the delaware river and so he's kind of got that south jersey kind of smart alecky sense of humor to him And if you don't get
0: sarcasm you're gonna not like me or my brother
1: (laughs) so uh but he he was a he was a pensgrove red devil so that was that was where he went to high school yeah
0: okay well good yeah.
1: All right. So, song number twenty-five is going to be an easy one. Anybody? I don't think I have to go past this.
0: Yeah. That, this is Roseanne. Okay, correct. A, a show I did watch. I watched. I watched Roseanne. Yes. At least early on. I, I didn't watch it probably beyond i don't know season three or so but early on when when she was still kind of doing her her stand-up act and i remember i remember roseanne as a stand-up comedian yes and thinking she was really funny so you liked her
1: stand-up act because i didn't find it particularly funny
0: and again i'm younger than you. yeah um but she was
1: somebody whose tv show i liked better than her stand-up
0: act. early on before she had the show
1: yeah i, I mean again like i said when 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 the show came out, it was 1988. So I would have been 17. So when she's doing her stand up act, I'm 14, 15, 16 yeah, years old. Right. So I don't think I kind of got the, the humor because she was talking about her family. Yeah, she's making family so jokes. So basically,
0: what the the show was, was, you know, at least early on, the jokes were, the, the they're kind of straight out of her stand up act. Right. You know, the way she would describe her husband and kids was how they made the characters. It's kind of similar to what Ray Romano ended up doing with Everybody Loves Raymond. So, I remember seeing his him as a standup comedian, and his whole act was you know kind of talking about his outrageous family members and then he created the show around them
1: and i and I think
0: in in regards to television,
1: kind of picture the scene back in the day. it seemed like TV shows in the eighties started to build and get bigger and bigger and bigger and and the people were rich wealthier like think of dynasty. Think of, I mean, even a show like Moonlighting that we mm-hmm. just talked about. You know,
0: they have money. It's it, kind of like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Right. Which was a popular show, and people may have been living their kind of humdrum lives, but then they could dream about what it was like to be rich and famous. That wasn't Roseanne. Roseanne was the opposite.
1: But I think where where roseanne lacked like the the wealth even though at the end of the show they win the lottery yeah, so i don't watch it at that okay. point then right. it
0: got crazy i mean i know that's what happened but you know that's when i had tuned out
1: but the funny the funny thing about it was it was about families that have all these differences and they fight and they argue but at the end of the day at the end of the episode they're still together right which kind of speaks volumes for so many families out there where nobody's perfect everybody argues and and fights and and has these these little wars going back and forth but at the end of the day they still love each other and they still you know live in the same house and
0: to her credit to Roseanne's credit you know not only did she change her name throughout the years uh, but she also you know kind of changed the characters of the show because in real life we don't stay the same correct I mean we you know if, if Scott and I were recording this podcast 20 years ago you would get a totally different spin than what you're hearing today that's right yeah we would be trying to you know land an interview with brett michaels or somebody <laughs> like that <laughs> i still want to land an interview with <laughs> brett michaels
1: <laughs> all right so that was uh, song number 25 and song number 26 i don't i don't think you'll have any trouble with this is this was another charting theme song that hit the charts in the 1980s another mike post composition
0: So, this is one that uh, I think I asked you if it was going to be on here, right? Probably. This is L.A. Law? No. No, it's, no. Not. it's LA Law. not L.A. Law?
1: It's not.
0: It sounds like the, the theme to it.
1: Same composer. That's a Mike Post.
0: All right. Now I got to think. I thought I had it. It, uh... Oh, boy. Now I'm drawing a blank. So, it, NBC? NBC. It... it it's not. It's not Hill Street Blues. Is it? It is Hill Street. Okay. Blues. Yeah. Yep. All right. Cop show. Yeah. Hill Street Blues. Right. I get credit for that when I eventually came around. I got <laughs> okay. Hill. And, and again, I this- would have marked it wrong in the test, but uh, you know,
1: that was another. That was another one that that. But actually but it charted. does
0: sound. It does sound similar, and I, you can kind of see why, the networks would have brought him in, uh, to do these these shows because if you have a certain kind of a feel for your show you know that's kind of what he's presenting so Mm -hmm. that it does have that that drama where with with la law it it's its attorneys yep and with hill street blues it's police officers but they're both kind of dealing with the law and kind of the the behind the scenes lives that these people are leading in this case is you know hill street blues and and, you know bringing a lot of heart to the police officers absolutely kicked off uh started the career of dennis
1: franz who ended up going on to uh, nypd blue yeah so. mm-hmm. all right the next one number 27 is one of my favorite tv shows of all time and let's see if you can get this one let this one build up a little bit this is actually the theme song is a famous song so
0: yeah this would be the theme to the wonder years that is correct that would be the wonder Years, and that'd be
1: joe cocker yep joe cocker with a little help from my friends Mm -hmm. uh the wonder Years, starring fred savage Mm -hmm. and uh it's just i remember when when it was first debuted it was debuted on uh abc after the super bowl and that was something that the networks typically did because the super bowl was started a lot earlier than what it did now okay so you had time to debut a show in the middle, uh, you know, after the Super Bowl was, was completed. This debuted after the uh, Denver Broncos
0: versus the Washington Redskins. Oh, that blowout the with, with the Redskins. So that was the, with the Doug Williams where he was the MVP of that one?
1: And honestly, what, what made me listen or, or stay and stay tuned and watch the episode was, believe it or not, none other than well, Al Michaels. They were talking about it during the broadcast. Okay. Al Michaels and Dan Deard, or I were have talking No about memory it. of this. And he's uh, Al Michaels said, coming up is the debut of of a show called The Wonder Years. And he said, if we watched it, I guess they previewed it for for the staff. And he said there wasn't a dry eye in the room at the end of the episode. And it was, uh, it, it, Kevin Arnold is the main character played mm-hmm. by Fred Savage, and he is it's it's a retrospective of him growing up in the late 60s and early 70s and so it deals you know it covers some pretty heady topics like Vietnam it covers some things like uh you know uh young kids uh, and sex and and relationships and so but it's a coming of age kind of television show and just one of my favorites of all time with, with the combination of the humor and the heart it it was you know To me, it stands out as one of the best shows they ever did.
0: Sure. And and kind of the the relationship between Kevin and Winnie Cooper is uh, it's it's kind of nice to see that where you kind of see, you know, something developing from like a young childhood crush. And as it develops, you know, through the years and the kind of a theme that they had running through there and but also with the family dynamic that they would have with the siblings, you know, kind of fighting and bickering a little bit with each other and. Uh, yeah that, that that definitely is a show that uh is is an all-timer yeah um yeah one of one of my favorites all right so
1: that was the wonder years and now we have uh theme song number 28 coming up and this one's kind of fun i think you'll enjoy this Just-
0: well i'm not the kind to kiss and tell So I do know this one, because uh, that line, I've been seen with Farrah, is is very accurate. That would be The Fall Guy with Lee Majors, who was married to Farrah Fawcett at one time. That is correct, Lee Majors and The Fall Guy. And this was sort of a comeback for him. Yeah, after The Six Million Dollar Man, Lee Majors, he really, he he didn't do a whole lot until The Fall Guy came out. And The Fall Guy, he is a Hollywood stuntman. Yes. So he's... He works
1: around famous people, but he's not a famous person himself. Right. But as with so many TV shows of its era, uh, somehow they end up fighting crime. <laughs> right. In right. You know, BJ, BJ and the Bear. How does BJ fight crime? He's taking he's driver. taking
0: a load of tomatoes from uh, California to the East Coast, and suddenly he solves a crime. So, for
1: some reason, um, TV executives in the early to mid '80s. They were, they were definitely obsessed with crime-solving TV shows. This one was certainly um, uh, w- along, along those same lines. This one, however, has a, a stuntman fighting crime. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to note that uh, this show was directly part of the reason that Lee Majors was able to enter the realm of sports ownership and something that I think we should probably talk about at one point or another is the USFL and he was one of the main owners of the LA Express when the USFL started so he was able to bankroll his ownership stake in the Express through his TV show with the Fall Guys so I just thought that was a little interesting side note All right, song number 29 I don't think it's going to be a a big surprise this is another Mike Post composition not hard at all
0: you can almost see the, uh, the, the lights going across the front of the car right now. Now, one of the things that That'd I, be Rider. Th-
1: I thought, uh, you know, Night Rider, when it first came out, was pretty groundbreaking. Um, not so much the... I, I think it started, was one of the first TV shows to begin incorporating music It was into the, the TV show itself. Right. Now, at the time, due to licensing... They weren't allowed to use the original artists, but they were allowed to use the songs. So you could pay songwriting royalties, but not not the uh, you know the performer royalties.
0: Do you do you remember any of the songs that they kind of did? Because there's one that I do that stands out to me, and it's the first one where you kind of heard like a popular song that was on the charts at the time, and that was John Cougar. I think it was still Cougar at the time, where the walls come tumbling down.
1: Okay. Yeah, and crumbling and the, down,
0: crumbling down, and and they they have somebody else singing it, and it was a very unusual experience, and I wasn't sure how to react because I was like all excited that here was a popular song being played on a show for the first time, but it wasn't the voice that I was expecting. Yeah, so
1: uh Night Rider David Hasselhoff who who goes on to do Baywatch mm-hmm. um but this really was his coming out and it was a very very popular TV have a, show you have a talking car out. I mean, it it was one of those especially for for younger kids like like myself it was something you talked about at s- at school cuz it was a Friday night show and you would see it Friday night and you would talk about it Monday morning when you got into school It's like oh did you watch the new Night Rider yeah, yeah i did so it was it was one of those shows that uh you know we we definitely kits yeah all right so that was song number 29 song number 30 let's see if sean can get this one but again this is another mike post uh composition
0: he was making bank back in the day hopefully he did because it. W- so there's how Low. law there you go and the door yeah. slams the trump yeah. door slams sure. yeah
1: yeah this was a this was another one for mike post and he really was the go-to guy. And you can kind of hear
0: that little synthesizer sound. That's kind of a running theme throughout a lot of his his uh, songs that he's created.
1: If if you're talking about needing a guy to write a theme song for something that has to do with either police work or the law. Yeah. Uh, I guess Mike Post was your was your go-to because even Magnum PI, you know, he's fighting crime. Sure. So it just it just either that or or either Mike Post is just like. Man, I can't believe they're making so many shows about crime. You know, it's like, wow, this is this is awesome. This
0: is my time. This is Mike's time to shine. Yeah, Mike. I'm assuming Mike probably had, uh, like, he was compiling a catalog of stuff just ready to go. That was all kind of similar, and you know, he could kind of almost figure it out. He didn't know if it was going to be about cops or lawyers, but there was going to be something going on where. It's uh, you know kind of groundbreaking and like with LA law for you know those who don't know it's 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 a kind of high powered law firm in Los Angeles dealing with these you know major cases. They're kind of, an, it's definitely an elite law firm mm-hmm. that uh, they. You would say that these are you know these upper echelon attorneys, but they all have these quirks about them, and they're living these lives, and you kind of see kind of the the cracks behind the what they want to present to the public you know they're they're very well dressed you know they're they're polished but behind the scenes they have the same issues that everybody else has they, they
1: are and and this show was created by steven bochco and Stephen bochco also created hill street blues he ended up going on to create doogie hauser he created you know he was nypd blue he was he was uh, him and uh uh david kelly i believe also was a part of la law uh, with talk about names in, in production that that produced big time shows but Bochco was uh, was a big deal in the mm-hmm. 80s with with many shows that he did